0: Well, praise the Lord. I had a real traumatic, you know, sometimes people seem to think that ministers don't have trials or whatever, but I had a real traumatic experience this morning. I got to share with you. Just Boy, I almost didn't come to church. I almost told my wife, you're going to have to preach today. I like to wear vests. And I like to wear them because I think they're dressy and they look nice. And besides that, I still haven't gotten my Tell me back where I want it so I hang out a little bit if I don't have a vest. But I went to put this vest on. Jerry, this thing doesn't have any pockets. No pockets at all. I'm getting rid of this one. I mean, you can't stick your finger in it or put a mint in it or nothing. That's a terrible way to start out the day, isn't it? If you have your Bible, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5 uh, was actually one book with 1 Kings. And it was a sequel to First and Second Samuel. And believe it or not, the book of Kings is about kings. That's what it's about. It's interesting. And several weeks ago, we started a character study of seven people who through their interaction with others, ultimately led to the commander of the Syrian forces, who was at that time the arch enemy of Israel being healed of leprosy, and the name of the God of Israel being spread to the Syrian nation. And uh, the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 that the stories in the Old Testament were written there so that we could learn lessons from them. And so that we could be admonished not to do things in our life. Um, understand the Bible really is divided. We have the Old and the New Testament. And uh, if you're reading the Bible uh, as a Christian, you want to read all of it. But understand the Old Testament or the Old Covenant is, about, is the history of mankind and the Jewish nation and it's also prophecies concerning thank you because I was getting warm. Um, It's also prophecies of of the coming Messiah. And then you have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that is the birth of Jesus, His life, His death and resurrection. And then you have the Acts of the Apostles, we call it Acts. And that is the birth of the church. And what the early church leadership went through and starting of that early church. And then you have Romans through Jude, which is a retrospect or, you know, we've always said hindsight is better than than foresight. And hopefully we learn from that. Well, R- Romans through Jude is actually a look at what Jesus's life, death and resurrection meant for us as Christians. That's what it's all about. It's explaining when Jesus said, it is finished, he was talking about more than just his physical death. And then you have the book of Revelation which is eschatology, which is a real big word and makes you sound intelligent. It just simply means end time events. And as a child of God, although I want to encourage you to read the Bible, uh, really, really make sure that you take and read from actually Acts through uh, Jude because it will share with you who you are in Christ and what you have and it will give you confidence in who you are as a Christian. You know, um, I use my wife a lot as a, an example but uh, that's when I first met my wife and got to dating her. Uh, I was a little hesitant. She'll tell you I wasn't. She'll tell you I was cocky, but I wasn't. That was just <laughs> hidden confidence. But I was, I was a little tentative. I mean, here's this good-looking woman. I mean, we're talking 110 pounds, hair down the middle of her back, green eyes. I mean. She's a knockout. She still is today, but boy, back then, I mean. And so I was tentative, but the more I got to know her, the more confidence I gained until finally when she asked me to marry her, I said, fine, we'll get married. And I, no, I'm serious. She did ask me to marry her. And um, I said, fine. Well, it's that way in the Lord. When I first came to know the Lord, I was on shaky ground. There was a lot of things I put up with that I didn't know I had, I didn't have to put up with. There was a lot of things I I didn't know I had. Uh, let me put it to you this way. Let's supposing that you went to work for a large company, and the company had all these wonderful benefits, but you'd never read them. And so one weekend you're out playing with your kids and you break your leg. And so you go to the emergency room, and they set it. And before you leave, they say, you don't have insurance. We need you to write us a check for $1,500. And so you do, and you come to work on Monday morning, and your co-workers say, wow, what happened to you? Well, I broke my leg. Well, is it all right? Yeah, it's all right. But you want to know the worst thing was? I had to pay $1,500 just to get out of the hospital. And they say to you, what's the matter with you? Our company has insurance. If you'd have just told them who you work for, the insurance would have covered it. You'd have been all right. Well, it's that way in the Lord. As you began to read the Bible, as you began to see the wonderful things that God has for you, then all of a sudden you began to gain confidence. And even when non-Christian people, non-believers will come to you, you can have confidence in your answer to them. Why? Well, because you know who you are and what God has done for you. Well, second, uh, second Kings chapter 5. Um, it's a story, like we said, about seven people. And the first person we met several weeks ago was a servant girl who was taken on a raid. The Syrian army would go into uh, the land of Israel and would take raids. And so here she was, a young girl. The Bible says young. And in the Hebrew, that meant probably a young teenage girl. She was taken captive. And in that split moment, her whole life was changed. Her life as she knew it. Any dream she might have had of marriage probably went out the window. And anything she might have dreamed of becoming probably was, was just... Boom, that was it. And she was working for the commander of the Syrian army, a fellow by the name of Naaman. But Naaman had cancer. And so nobody would have blamed this servant girl if she had a thought in her heart, well, it serves you right. You can suffer. You've made me suffer. And the question I asked, but the Bible says, and yet, she went to Naaman's wife and she said, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would heal him of his leprosy. Now, nobody in the natural would ever blame her for keeping her mouth shut. And yet she didn't. And so the question I asked was, how do you treat someone who has injured or wronged you and someone you love? And we found out in the Bible, because as Christians, if we're going to say we're Christians, then our answers need to be from the word of God. If we preach anything else, then there's an issue there. We need to preach what the word of God says. And we found out the first thing is we need to learn to forgive. The Bible is very, very plain. If we don't forgive, God doesn't forgive us. And forgiveness is a choice. It's not a gooey, yucky feeling. It's It's a choice that we make in our mind that we no longer, we choose not to hold an offense against an individual or a group. And you know, oftentimes, um, we save stamps. You know, many years ago, they used to get green stamps, I think, and gold bond stamps. And people would save them and put them in a book, and then you could redeem them. But And then one day, you would redeem them. You know, lots of times, we do that in our marriage or with our friends. We have somebody who has injured us or continually wrongs us. We don't say anything and we don't say anything. Maybe that spouse of ours does that. and We don't say anything or anything. And then one day, boom, they say something and we just explode all over them. And they're standing there looking like a deer looking in the headlights going, what did I say? What did I do? But see, that's brought on by lack of forgiveness. And it's a choice that we have to choose to make. And it's really only possible Through Christ. The natural man. He's not made to forgive. And then finally we also learned. Jesus said that. We're to love our enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. It didn't say you have to like what your enemy does. But it says to love your enemy. And pray for those that persecute you. And praying for those that persecute you. Is not. Licensed to say God sig you, that's not the way you pray for someone who persecutes you, okay? It's not God get them, okay? That doesn't work. And so that's the first person we learned. Then the second person was Naaman's wife. The servant girl went to Naaman's wife and the Bible doesn't tell us much about her, but I believe she was a woman of prominence and she was very intelligent, giving Naaman's position. I mean, here he was the commander of the Syrian army. That was the largest army of that time. And so she probably had to attend a lot of social events at the palace. She had to learn how to conduct herself. Naaman, given the fact that he was the commander, he probably gave a lot of social events in his home. And so she had to know how to plan those social events, how to seat people, uh, you know, seat so-and-so next to so-and-so. And And they were probably very wealthy. And so she uh, had to know how to run a home. And so she was a pretty sharp cookie. I really believe that. And so one day the servant girl comes to her and says, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would heal him of his leprosy. And the second question I asked is, so how do you deal with someone's input who approaches you with a solution to a problem you're having when that individual doesn't have the education you have? Or maybe they don't have the experiences that you've had. Or maybe they haven't acquired the financial independence that you've had, or they haven't made it yet in business or in a life, or they aren't your age. How do you deal with that? You know, many years ago, there was a manufacturing company in Belgium who wanted to start a manufacturing company in the United States and they approached me to do it. They said, would you set up this company for this company in Belgium? And I agreed to do that. And so uh, we began to set up the company and the workforce, and it was outside of the town called Boulder. And I'm sure you all have heard of Boulder, Colorado, but that's the site that was chosen. And what we built was we built emergency egress systems. In other words, emer- uh, um, fire escapes. But they were made out of airplane grade aluminum. And we also built um, emergency egress system where you would open the gate and the, and the ladder would come down. And they built some really good stuff out of airplane grade aluminum. Lifetime guarantee, you could put them on the side of a building without a crane. It was really good. And as I began to hire the people, uh, I began to pray, God, what do you want me to do? I've never set up a company. I've run them, but I've never set them up. And so the workforce in, in Boulder, that state-run workforce one, I think, is that what they call it here in Montana? Um, where you go and you can um, sign up for a job or put your name down and get a job. I know they have them in Wolf Plain and Glasgow, state-run. Anyway, they came to me and they said, would you... Would you talk to our over 50 people? We have a lot of them that are unemployed. Can't seem to find work. Would you talk to them? Here you are. Uh, I'm 78. So that would have been, what, 58 then, probably? So would you do that? And I had hired some older people. And one of the things that amazed me was, uh, I remember one gentleman in particular, he was in his... uh, late 50s. And he stood up and he said he couldn't get a job. And I said, why? And he said because I ain't going to work for none no youngster that doesn't know what in the world he's doing. And I mean, so how do you deal with that? As a Christian, how do you deal with when somebody comes to you and you've got a problem, how do you deal with that? And so, You know, this young girl could be trying to lay a trap for Naaman to get him back into Israel. Naaman's wife could have said, we've tried every surgeon and doctor, physician in Syria. He's not healed. Who do you think you are? And I took you to James chapter 4. It says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. One of the attributes of a proud person is they're unteachable. A proud person thinks they're better, they don't listen. One of the traits of a humble person is they are teachable. They're very teachable. And the word grace is karos in the Greek. And it has several meanings. But they all point to the same thing. It means undeserving benefit, undeserving favor, joy, gift, God's willingness to use his power on our behalf. And it all points to one thing, is that God is willing. God so desires that you be a participant of all that Jesus paid for when he died on the cross. We had scripture after scripture. We have Matthew that says, Jesus said, I give you the keys to the kingdom. Do you ever think about that? I give you the keys to the kingdom. He didn't say, you can have what's behind door number one or door number three, but you can't have door number two. You can't have that, Jerry. No, you wear short sleeve shirts. I'm gonna give that to Owen. He wears long. He doesn't do that. He said, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. You can have it all. Matthew, Jesus talking in Matthew chapter 7. He said, if you as parents know how to give your kids good things, how much more does your heavenly father know how to give you good things? God so desires through his grace to give us all the things that Jesus paid for. Romans tells us, he who did not spare even his own son, but gave him up on our behalf. Is it possible that having to give up a son, he would not give us everything else? 1 Peter 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us all things. A-L-L. But you know what? We have to be open and receptive to that. And so, the uh, God, through His grace, even in the Old Testament, God would, through His grace, they were under the law. And God would still, when Elijah was had nothing to eat, God, through His grace, sent ravens. When Jesus was teaching to the 5,000, He sent His grace to five loaves and two fishes so that they could be fed. And God wants you to receive everything that He has for you. So when someone approaches us, how can we know? Well, we learn. Does it line up with God's Word? If it doesn't, it's not of God. Does it bring peace? We learn Jesus is the Prince of Peace and the Holy Spirit's the Comforter. You know, before we get saved, when we get that gut feeling, we call it uh, intuition. Or a gut feeling, guys don't like the word intuition. We call it it's a gut feeling, you know. When women say it's intuition. I don't, you know. But the bottom line is: when you're born again, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. And you know what? If you're spending any time in prayer and reading the Bible, the Holy Spirit's gonna come along and he's gonna make you feel ill at ease about things. Why? Because God doesn't want you to take the wrong path. God does. God, you cannot understand how much God will go through to try to keep you from going to the wrong path. And then finally, ask discerning of spirits. Well, let's go on to today's lesson. Don't worry, I won't, I won't keep you past 2 o'clock. Um, uh, second, Jerry, you're not smiling. That bothers me. <laughs> <laughs> 2nd Kings chapter 5. So then verse 3. So then the servant girl said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would heal him of his leprosy. So the woman goes and tells Naaman. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Now we're going to run into two kings. A pair of kings. And it's a dichotomy, because one's going to act one way and one's going to act another way. Two totally different responses. Then the king of Syria, and his name was Ben-Hadad, go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And so Naaman departed and took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, 10 changes of clothes, And then he brought the letter to the king of Israel which said, Now be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent Naaman my servant to you that you may heal him of his leprosy. I'm going to stop right there and ask you a question. So how do you respond to somebody in need who you see is in need and they come to you for help Or you can't help them. But you know somebody who can. But they're your enemy. Or you don't like them. Or they've mistreated you or cheated you in a a, a dealing you had. Or they've made fun of you because you're a Christian. How do you deal with that? You know what it boils down to? How much do we love God and how much do we love people? That's what it boils down to. And there's a difference between love versus like. We don't have to, I can tell you right now, there's times that I've done things and I'm sure this is gonna surprise you. I know it's gonna surprise my wife after 50 years, but there's things I've done that God hasn't liked or my wife hasn't liked. I know that's a shock to you, but I'm not perfect. There's things that we do that God doesn't like, not because he's this ogre that stands in heaven, not wanting us to do anything, but because he knows it's injurious to us in some way. But he still loves us. He still loves us. And it boils down to how much do you love people? Do you love people as much as Christ loves you? If you look at John 17 verse 23. The Bible tells us and just write this down that. Jesus in his own words said this. God let people know that you love them as much as you love me. And the first time I read that I sat and cried. Why would God love Owen Childress? Why would Jesus love me that much? Why? But he does. That you love people as much as you love me. When we as Christians, now let me explain Christian because over the years I've had a lot of people tell me they're Christians and when I ask them why, I asked them, what. when someone tells me I'm a Christian, you know the first thing I ask them is, what's your definition of a Christian? Let me tell you what the Bible's definition is. How many of you know Romans 10, 9, and 10? If you don't know it, you, you really need to. Go there real quickly. Hadn't planned on it, but, but go there real quickly. This is the Bible's definition of a Christian. Romans 10, 9, and 10. Simple. Four, if you will attend church at least eight months out of the year, and you, that isn't what it says? I must have the wrong Bible. If you shall believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved for what the heart man believes under righteousness, what the mouth confession is. That's all it is. And you say, God, forgive me for my sin. That's all it takes. That's it. So when we as Christians, when we operate from the spirit that dwells within us, John, the book of the Gospel of John tells us and elsewhere, that when you become born again, born of God, born of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit comes and resides inside of you. He lives inside of you. Whether you like it or not, He's there. When you're saying words, you shouldn't say, He doesn't leave and then come back. When you go someplace, you shouldn't go, He doesn't leave you and then come. No, He lives inside of you. And when we as Christians are operating from the Spirit that dwells within us, We're operating in God's love. That love that sent his son to die on the cross. See, that which lives inside of us is called the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God. Well, brother, you know, I'd help out so and so and such and such, but you don't know what they've done to me. Or, well, you don't know what they're like. I mean, they cheat. I had a man come to me here a couple of years back. And he went to a very good-sized church. And he was upset. And he said, you don't know, but he named a person. And I knew this person. And he said, how can they sing in church? What's the matter with them? Why, I know what they've done. And how can they pray? And I mean, he was upset. And it so totally possessed him. And I said to him, I said, well, let me ask you a question. Whose church is that? What do you mean? I said, well, whose church is it? Is it yours? Is it the denominations or is it God's? Well, it's God's. I said, then why don't you let God decide whether he accepts his singing or not? Why don't you let God decide whether or not he accepts his prayers? That's none of your business. But you know what I can tell you? You're so obsessed with what's going on over there that the devil's got you. God couldn't talk to you if he wanted to. When, when, when we act that way, our dislike, our emotions brought on by what the individual does become stronger than our love for people. And that, listen, I'm not, I'm not here to, to put a guilt up on you. I don't want to do that. But I want to free you up so that you can walk in the freedom of God. I mean, it is so freeing to be led by the Spirit and just to forgive and to trust God. Did you know that everything in the Bible, I told you this several weeks ago, but it's so important. All the instructions in the Bible are not because God doesn't want us to have fun. All the instructions in the Bible are not so that we become prudes. That's not what they're there for. They're there so that we close the ability of Satan to have access to our life. And number two, so that we as Christians bring glory to God. In other words, people look at us and say, wow, I want what they've got. And it leads people to Christ. And thirdly, when we obey the um, the instructions of God, did you know that it positions us to receive the good things of God? It does. It positions us so that the blessings of the Lord and, and the things of God can... You know, even Even the most, I would say that the most, one of the most contentious things in the Bible is tithing. Now, I'm not going to, we've already taken an offering, so don't worry about that, okay? But go with me to Malachi. I want to show you what I mean by everything in the Bible is built to position us so we can receive the blessing of the Lord. Now oftentimes, the scripture on tithing has been used to beat people over the head to give them money. But i'll tell you this much when you understand the goodness of the Lord <laughs> it's no big deal. I, I don't want this to sound like well look at me But our children and our grandchildren laugh at this. I love my wife. If you haven't figured that out already, I love her. There's just something about that woman. And you know what? I'd be hard pressed Jerry to tell her no. I don't think she, matter of fact, we were in a big store in Dallas, Texas. And my wife was shopping. And she wanted, what was it she wanted? To get a purse or something? At that Sam Moon store. And ladies, if you've never seen Sam Moon, go online. Oh, man, you're going to hate me for that one. <laughs> but anyway, she was shopping and she wanted to buy and I said, well, honey, go ahead. And some elderly woman comes down the aisle pushing a cart. And she looks at my wife and she says, I'll bet he never tells you no, does he? I mean, you know, she didn't even know us. But God's that way. He doesn't want to beat you over the head. With this stuff. Look at look at Malachi. Will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me, but you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings, you are cursed with the curse. See that, brother? If you don't pay tithes, you're cursed with the curse. Well, you are, but it's not God beating you over the head. Let me share with you what I mean. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Well, this isn't in the notes, but that's right. I'll get you out of here anyway. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 30. Verse 15. See that I have set before you life and good, death and evil. Verse 19. I call heaven and earth as witness today against you. I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. How do you think they got the blessing? By obedient, being obedient to what God told him to do. Okay, so when God talks about giving, let me share with you. Go to Romans, uh, Genesis 8, verse 22. 8, One of my favorite scriptures. While the earth remains... Seed, time, and harvest. Say that. Seed, time, and harvest. Please. Seed, time, and harvest. Okay. In other words, and Jesus said to us, Given it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. The reason he's trying to get you to give is so that you open the door so he can give back to you the harvest. It's not because he wants to beat you over the head with it. He's trying to position you so that he can give back to you. If you don't give, he can't give back to you. Dennis, you're a farmer. If you don't plant any seeds, what kind of harvest are you going to have? You're not going to have one. That's the point. The things of God, church, the the things of God are given to us. Let's read the rest of Malachi. Malachi. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this. In other words, God's saying, okay, I'm giving you some instruction here. See, time and harvest. Try me. Prove me. See if I'm not God. See if I won't do what I say I do, says the Lord of hosts. For if you go to church once a week and if you go ahead, No. I will open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. That's the only place in the Bible where I know God says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. You know why? See, that's the point. And I'm not trying to put on you condemnation when I say, How much do you love people? What do you do when someone's got a need and you could meet it? But the only person you know that could really help them is someone you don't like. They may be from a different denomination and you're going, well, you know, let God handle it. Um. I don't know, where am I, honey? I'm in Second Kings chapter. It's the law of sowing, huh? Your name is Sherry. Yes. Same theory, thank you. <laughs> he said her name is Sherry. He's reminding me. Church, how do we deal with it when this world is filled with people that have needs? And if I was a betting man I would bet that there are people here this morning that have needs that nobody knows about. They've told no one. Deep-seated desires and needs. And you know what? You've got neighbors elsewhere, whether it be in Circle, or Brockway, or Vita, or Ritchie, or Lambert, or somewhere in Macon County, who have got needs. And they haven't told anybody. And you know what? Without sounding religious or anything else. If you're a child of God. You have the means with which you can help them. If you'll just pray and ask God. And understand the heart of God. The heart of God is this. that he so loved mankind. that when we were enemies with him, when we didn't care about God, he sent his son to die. And I could point to every one of you and call you your name and say, did you know that God loves you? Sometimes we, we um, generalize that. But you have, understand that God My desire for you this morning is that you just not only learn of God's love but you began to walk in the freedom of that. There is so much freedom. So much freedom. And the instructions in this book, boy as I began to follow what it said about finances, my finances got better. When I began to do what it said about marriage, my marriage was already good, but boy, it got better. When I began to do what it said about being a parent, I became a better parent. When I began to do what it said about when I worked on a job, I began to get better and better jobs. God loves you this morning, church. I, I can't, I can't tell you enough. How much he wants you to receive the good things that he has for you. Let's pray. Lord, I bless you this morning. And you know, I thank you for your goodness. I even thank you for that story of that king who just loved his commander so much. Just said, Yeah, here, let me send a letter. You didn't send a letter. You sent your son. And this morning, as we sit here, Lord, let your love, your goodness, your grace minister to every heart that's here. Every heart that's here. In Jesus' name, amen. Gary, would you come on up and would you do that song, Bell Art Worthy? Would you mind doing that? Mara, if you join him. Would you stand with me in closing?